Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, is the the pod for, you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Christmas Day. So, um, the Knicks have now lost three straight after losing to the Sixers on Christmas at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks have had, uh, they had an early 14-point lead in that game and it let us away. Joel Embiid, 35 points in the win for the Sixers. James Harden added 29 points and 13 assists. Both guys were magnificent, particularly Harden in the second half. Uh, the Knicks were pulverized by the three-point shot, uh, which is a, a a recipe for disaster for this team. We've, this is not the first time we've talked about the Knicks' inability to do defend the three. We haven't talked about it as much since the rotation change, but we saw the Sixers have a lot of success shooting the three ball. They hit 18 threes in that game. They shot 18 for 39 from three. And if you have a team shooting at that high of volume, uh, scoring on that high a level, you're usually going to end up with an L. So the Knicks lose on Christmas Day. Uh, they did have a, a huge first half from Julius Randle, who was unguardable for that first half. Um, I think he ended with tw- uh, 27 in the first half. He finished with 35. Jalen Brunson added uh, 23 points in the game. R.J. Barrett uh, struggled in this one offensively. He had 17 points, uh, but he shot 6 for 21 in that game. He did have uh, a 10 rebound. Mitchell Robinson, though, um, shout out to him. He tried his best on Jewel Embiid. I thought for the first half did a good job. Um, he ended with 16 rebounds in the game to go along with 10 points and three blocks. So he certainly did his job, but again, not enough for the Knicks on Christmas day. And when I think about this game, one, a lot of people have said it, and I'm probably the last one to say at this point, but I will point out that um, the refereeing in, in this game was, was not good. And I, I don't want to sit here and make excuses for the fact that the Knicks lost because of the refereeing, because the Knicks didn't play well enough to win in the second half. I mean, there we'll get to the issues they had, but it, it is it is unbearable to watch James Harden and watch Joel Embiid, you know, flop around, throw themselves on the floor, get these calls that I really didn't even have much of a problem with. Like I think most of the foul calls that the Knicks were called on while guarding Harden and James were fouls. My issue remains when I watch Knicks basketball this season is. Julius Randle is an extremely physical player. He makes very aggressive moves. He plays through a lot of contact. And it's like, he, he kind of reminds me of Carmelo Anthony in the sense that because he doesn't flop, because he doesn't play to the whistle, the referees see intense contact and don't give him foul calls. Um, I think Jalen Brunson, to some degree, gets that same treatment. Not as bad, because Brunson does a much better job of trying to draw fouls and, and making the ref see that he's getting fouled. But the end of the first half, Brunson uh, makes a a play, dribbles. I mean, Harden just runs right into him. And because Brunson didn't throw himself on the floor, it's not called a foul, which which was absurd to begin with. And then it leads to that uh, Shake Milton um, miracle, Christmas miracle (laughs) three-pointer from half court. So my thing is, if you're going to have a game where you're going to call it tight, which that game was called very tight, 
just be consistent. Um, there were some bad calls. You know, Mitch Robinson had a clean block on Harden that they they called a, a foul. One of the worst, literally one of the worst <laughs> foul calls I think I've seen uh, all year. But if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna call, if you're gonna call a tight, call it consistently. And it just it's frustrating to see PJ Tucker play basketball like he's playing middle linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's, you know, Randall was was giving him a lot of problems in that first half. And second half, he made the right move to become more physical with Randall. And he, he did it with no consequences because the refs just did not call any fouls. I mean, he's bumping Randall coming up the court. He's bumping Randall on every catch, on every bounce. He's hand-checking him, and they're just not calling it. And, again, I grew up in the 90s. I love the Knicks of the late 90s, early 2000s. I am all for physical basketball. But I do want us to hear about you're allowing P.J. Tucker to play middle linebacker, and then if Harden gets touched or Embiid gets touched on the on the wrist or on, on the hip, you're sending them to the line. Like, that, that was some really bad officiating. I think that because these players are becoming bigger, stronger, faster, we've seen NBA officiating deteriorate for the past five years, I would say. And um, and it was frustrating to, to see that happen uh, at MSG with the Knicks uh, getting such poor whistle. With that being said, there are two main takeaways for me that um, are really frustrating with this loss. Because I feel like a lot of this loss does lie at the feet of Tom Thibodeau. And it's not necessarily anything he even did in that game per se, but it's kind of how he's coached his team and the Knicks' inability to adjust what other teams are doing to them. So let's begin with the offense. The Knicks were on a tear offensively. It was really that first half, especially that first quarter. Um, they looked like the Knicks that were on that eight-game win streak. I mean, they 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 were dominant. Um, they were hitting their shots, which, you know, when shots go in, your offense looks good. But their offense looked, legitimately did look good. And part of that was, of course, because they were hitting shots. But they were hitting shots. They were moving the ball well. Um, I thought Randall did a really great job of, of of attacking on catches, which I don't think he does enough. And sometimes maybe that's because in the past, I think in his first year in New York, he moved too fast. And oftentimes you saw him dribbling right into double teams, right into traps. Um, spinning his way into, you know, charges and double teams. You know, I don't know how many times we saw that in year one. So I feel like he made an adjustment from that year on to try to, you know, be a little more methodical with his attacks, which it's been a hit or miss. I think in year two, we saw he was great. And now year three, when they started to really load up, he didn't seem to be able to make the right reads. Um, this year, I think he's been a lot better. And and I thought that, that, that game on Christmas, he was a lot better at getting the ball and just going. You know, he was playing against a defender who wasn't as quick footed as he was in PJ Tucker and being able to attack on rotations because the Knicks were able to get Joe penetration, whether it was RJ, whether it was um, uh, Brunson, whether it was even Quentin Grimes. Um, Randall was getting the ball on, you know, uh, undisciplined closeouts from Tucker. and He was able to take advantage of him. And I would love to see Randall do that more over the course of the season. So the Knicks offense clicking on all cylinders, Randall has his best performance in the first half of the season, arguably. And he looks like he may be off to a 40, maybe even 50-point burger. And then what happens all the time when the Knicks get into any rhythm happened on Sunday. Sixers go zone. And for whatever reason, the Knicks' offense just disappears. They are unable to figure out the zone. They're unable to figure out uh, how to get open shots. And the Sixers, who, who started to get into a rhythm offensively, and we'll talk about the Knicks' defense in a second, were able to slowly kind of pick their way back into the game and then take the lead for good in the fourth quarter. 
we are now in the third season with Tom Thibodeau. And now three seasons in a row, I've watched other teams say, okay, the Knicks get into any kind of rhythm. Let's just go to a zone. And particularly the last two seasons, and, and, and even it seems even more particularly this season, it has become a major problem where the Knicks don't appear to have a zone offense capable of making teams pay when they go to zone. And what's frustrating for me as a Nick fan and a Nick observer is you, when you, whenever you see, you know, the book get out on a team, you're supposed to be able to make adjustments to try to combat that. Like, it doesn't matter if the team is used to playing zone. They, they're not used to playing zone. It doesn't like, it doesn't even matter if that's part of their philosophy to play zone. When they see the Knicks, it doesn't matter. You throw your philosophy, defensive philosophy out the window. If your plan A doesn't work, Every team goes to zone. And a lot of the time it works out. Sometimes in an eight-game winning streak, the Knicks were able to kind of, you know, hold teams off. But a lot of the times uh, going to zone against the Knicks is extremely successful. And it's ridiculous to me that we're now three years into the Thibodeau tenure and they can't seem to run effective zone offense. And it's even more peculiar because you would think when you look at the Knicks personnel, that they have players who would be monsters potentially in the high post against the zone. The number one option, Julius Randle, you would think would be really good in, in, in playing against uh, a zone if you put him in the mid post because Julius Randle has a good mid range game. Julius Randle can make passes out of the mid post. Julius Randle is also great at attacking the rim. Um, and he would arguably be able to attack the rim without being even guarded if he gets the ball in the right spots on the high post right at the foul line. So that's one play you think you should be able to take advantage of the zone with. They haven't been able to. RJ Barrett, similar skill set to Julius Randle, maybe not as good a mid-range shooter, but can attack the rim. Now he's getting a, a, a you know, a, the base, basically a center sitting at the rim who can't force him right, so he can get to his left hand from the mid post. Um, RJ can make passes from the mid post. Uh, he's a good ball handler, so he would seem like a great fit to run through the mid post during a zone. And they haven't been able to take advantage of that. And there's even a third guy who's now been added to the Knicks roster since last season, who also isn't being used effectively when the teams go zone. And that's Isaiah Hardenstein. Isaiah Hardenstein's best skill set, which has not been used effectively by the Knicks, is his ability to pass, particularly passing from the high post. And when teams play zone defenses, if you're able to get the ball in the middle, which the Knicks have pretty much been able to do for the most part, you should be able to. It, it's it's a death nail to his own defense because that guy can either score um, on a high percentage shot, or he should be able to spray it out to shooters, or he should be able to drive and maybe hit cutters coming from the corner. The Knicks don't get any of this. They don't get any of this action happening um, when they teams play zone. Uh, they don't get great penetration. They don't, uh, and they don't take advantage when they're able to get the ball in the middle and and cause damage and. The Sixers went zone. The Knicks just did what they always do, or what they do most of the time when teams go zone. They didn't really seem to have much of a plan, and um, and, and it, it forced our offense to just completely uh, go to a standstill. They only scored 16 points in the fourth quarter for a long stretch of that fourth quarter. They only had six points. It was it was ridiculous, and to watch it uh, up close and personal at the Garden was was terrible. So zone offense awful continues to be a problem, and the fact that they have not solved that issue is highly alarming considering we're now year three in the Thibodeau's tenure and 
he's the guy that's supposed to uh, formulate his own offense that should be able to take advantage of, of teams going to zone. Like when teams go to zone, like that's to be that most time in the NBA, that is like your last ditch effort. That is your, okay, we've tried everything and we can't stop them. So let's hope that we can just get into his zone, force him to shoot 30 footers and let's hope they miss. And the fact that teams now use the zone effectively as a legit strategy, it's not a last ditch resort. It's a, if they get hot, we'll go to zone and that we know we can get ourselves back into a game because it's going to take them a whole quarter or a whole half to figure out. They may never figure it out in the game. And um, that was another loss the Knicks had on Sunday where the zone offense continued to kill them. And then let's talk about the defense. So three-point shooting continued to be a problem in terms of guarding the three in this one. Again, the Sixers made 18 of 39 from three. The Knicks were particularly killed by George's Niang who hit four three-pointers in the fourth quarter. Him and Harden were absolutely cooking in their pick-and-pop two-man game. Knicks did not have an answer. And George Niang spoke after the game about his confusion as to why the Knicks were guarding him the way they were. I mean, I don't know why they were playing in a drop coverage. I probably haven't seen that since, you know, college maybe. But, um, you know, they were – putting two on James and uh, that's kind of where me and James have that two man game that really, you know, flourishes. Um, and James found me, James does an incredible job of hitting me on the hands and, you know, making those passes. And I, my job is to shoot the ball and I wasn't going to stop doing that. So George Niang there saying that he was extremely confused why the Knicks were covering him in drop coverage. So let's first, for those at home who may not know what drop coverage is, let's give a brief <laughs> explainer. So drop coverage is essentially when you're playing pick-and-roll coverage, the on-ball defender um, essentially tries to go over the screen, and the player guarding the screener drops about five feet away from the ball handler to basically keep him from getting to the basket until the uh, the on-ball defender who was guarding the screen, the guy who's you know dribbling the ball handler, is able to get back in front. Um it is a strategy that you'll see a lot of teams use who have shot blockers. So like you watch like the Minnesota Timberwolves or Utah Jazz in previous seasons, like, uh, you know, someone like Rudy Gobert was such a monster and drop coverage for all, most of the time, though we saw in the playoffs teams were able to exploit him. But typically he's a great drop coverage type of player because he's so, so large. And you don't want to necessarily switch him onto smaller guards because he's not good on the perimeter. But his ability to cover a lot of space without being that close and to protect the rim. Uh, makes it very difficult for the, the the ball handler on that pick and roll to really uh, find a good read. So um, it, it works in that instance, but it, it drop coverage can be killed by guys who can pick and pop and and kill you from three. And George Niang is that kind of shooter. Um, that is what he's there for. He is a he he is a three point shooter. He's a pick and pop guy. So when a player like that and someone as dangerous as Harden as a passer. Drop coverage probably isn't the best coverage for a player like that. Uh, so he was very confused because he probably, you know, he probably plays in the NBA, obviously, and plays against all the 29 teams. And other teams know George Niang can shoot, so they're like, we're not going to cover him like that. And the Knicks did not make any adjustment. And I tweeted when I saw that commentary, you know, people were like, he's taking shots at Tibbs. Um, he's taking shots at Knicks coverage. I mean, I had no problem with, the commentary because he's right like it's 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 ridiculous that Knicks guarded him and dropped coverage so often they didn't adjust at any point in that time but 
Tom Thibodeau is like almost a drop coverage exclusive coach. Like that is all he coaches. Um, he coaches ice coverage. He coaches drop coverage on pick and roll. That is what he believes. In. He believes in protecting him first, regardless of a really who's on the floor. And it's like because Niang didn't kill them in the first half, he kind of thought, well, we can still play this drop coverage and it worked. And then they got burned. And that's kind of one of my issues with, with Thibodeau. It continues to be my issues with him is his inability to adjust or his slow adjustments. Um, he doesn't, I, I always say, he doesn't coach the game that's being played. He coaches the game that he prepared for. And to me, he prepared his team to guard these guys a certain way. And regardless of how the actual game was going, they didn't make any adjustments. So I don't know, after George Niang hits two threes um, against that drop pick and roll coverage, you would think that maybe they would switch it uh, and start switching those screens or do something else defensively just to mix it up. And they did nothing. So uh, Niang was one of the big reasons why the Knicks uh, got killed in that fourth quarter. So the Knicks uh, drop uh, three straight. They now are 18 and 16 on the season. And um, a lot of the optimism that was around the team during the eight-game winning streak, it's not completely evaporated. I don't think they've even dropped a spot in the standings yet. But um, but now you kind of say, okay, you know, now we're back to kind of reality. And now we got some big games coming up uh, this week. So, um, so Knicks lose. Sixers uh, go to eight straight wins. So now they're the new hot team in the NBA, along with the Brooklyn Nets, who are also playing uh, great basketball. So now it's uh, up to the Knicks to see what they can do now in Texas. 